I'm going to open a word of prayer, and we will get it right into the sermon. Let's pray. Thank you, Lord, for your presence. Thank you for your goodness. Thank you for what we are celebrating this morning as we commemorate the resurrection of Jesus Christ, the most important event of ancient history from the Christian perspective, as well as the most important event for Christians and that you have raised from the dead, proving you have victory over life and death itself. Thank you for that reality. In Christ's name we pray, amen. Years ago, there used to be a character on TV played by Gilda Radner, and she would play different characters on the popular comedy show Saturday Night Live. I didn't watch it all that much. It was a little crass for me, but every now and then I would see it, and I would see her character, and it was always hilarious. One of the characters she did was a satire of the famous Barbara Walters, a commentator of earlier years. You don't hear much of her today. She played the character called Baba Wawa, and it would mispronounce her R's, kind of a, a takeoff of the whole Barbara Walters theme. Another equally hilarious character was Rosanna Rosanna Dana, who played a news commentator. But one that I want to make note of today, one of those characters, and one of her popular characters was Emily Latilia who regularly gave the editorial comment on a fictitious news channel and who would get on some rant about her assigned topic. And she would just go on and on. And uh, while still ranting, her co-host, Cherry Chase, would tap her on the shoulder and correct her on a minor but important detail. And the single detail totally changed her story, making the whole rant completely irrelevant, to which she would respond, never mind. Let me give you an example. She was ranting on and on about eagle rights. She got angry and animated the way eagles were being treated and demanded that authorities protect their rights. And soon, in her rant, Chevy Chase tapped her on the shoulder and said, the topic is equal rights. And she had this blank look on her face. And stunned silent, she turned to the camera and said, never mind. The skit reminds me of how one word can change the meaning of something. In Christianity, there is such a word. It is a word that if it is ignored or forgotten or denied, it changes the whole essence of the Christian faith. We can ramble all we want about Christianity and what it's about, but if we ignore this word, it matters. Because without it, our faith is useless. This morning, I want us to look at that word. It's the word resurrection. You've probably heard it. That's why we're here celebrating today. One of the questions provided for our Why series is, why is the resurrection of Jesus so important to our faith? And this morning, I want to look at four responses to that question. Let's start by reading a passage that addresses it. 1 Corinthians 15, 12 to 19, it says this, But if it is preached that Christ has been raised from the dead, how can some of you say that there is no resurrection of the dead? And if there is no resurrection of the dead, then not even Christ has been raised. And if Christ has not been raised, our preaching is useless, and so is your faith. And more than that, we are then found to be false witnesses about God. For we have testified about God that he raised Christ from the dead. For if the dead are not raised, then Christ has not been raised either. And if Christ has not been raised, your faith is futile. You're still in your sins then those who have fallen asleep in Christ are lost. And if only for this life we have hope in Christ, we are all people to be most pitied, the most miserable. 
So this answers the question, why is the resurrection of Jesus so important to our faith? There's four things. If Christ has not been written from the dead, then first of all, our faith is futile. Now, some people may tell you that if Christianity is not true, the Christian faith is still the best way to live. You might hear people say things like, even if it turned out that Jesus Christ did not rise from the dead and there's no such places in heaven, I would still have no regrets about living the Christian life. The Apostle Paul absolutely disagrees with that position. He says in 1 Corinthians 15, 19, if only for this life we have hope in Christ, we are to be pitied more than all men. If Christ has not written, you folks are the most miserable people in the world. That's what Paul says in the Bible. If Christ has not been written, folks, we're a bunch of sad cases. Paul gives four reasons for this rather striking conclusion. First, he says in verse 17, if Christ has not been raised, your faith is futile. It's useless. You think it will deliver something to you, but if Christ has not been written, it doesn't. It can't. It's powerless. Christians build their lives around the conviction that if you have faith in Jesus Christ, God does something in your life and makes you a new person and will eventually welcome you into everlasting life. But Paul is quite clear here. If Christ has not written, that's a fallacy, an illusion. You've trusted a lie under these circumstances. You've staked everything on something that has no substance, and that's sad. If Christ is not risen, folks, it's like playing a mind game. They talk about trusting Christ, but if Christ has not risen, there is no Christ to trust. Now, when drug companies develop a new product, they run tests with two groups of people. They give one group the new tablets, and they they give the other group an identical-looking product that's a dummy, a placebo. They do this for a simple reason. The mind is powerful, and some people feel that because they've taken a tablet, they're better. Although the tablet has no substance that could change the body. It's all in their minds. If Christ has not risen, Christians are like people who say they feel better after taking a placebo, a dummy tablet. They're confessing some change that has no substantial basis. Like the dummy drug, such faith would not do anything except within the individual minds of the people. Christians think that faith saves them. And that's partially true. But what matters is the object of the faith. That's what saves them. If Christ has not written, faith does nothing outside their own imagination. If Christ has not written, all that has happened is that church music has made you more cheerful. Christian friends have made them more hopeful. A brighter outlook on life has made them more thankful. If Christ has not risen, what they think God has done is nothing more than a figment of their imagination. And that's sad. If Christ has not risen, you are the most miserable people in the world. There's a second response to a question, why is the resurrection of Jesus Christ so important? And that is this. If he's not risen, we're still dead in our sin. If Christ is not risen, you would be the most people in the world, not only because your faith would be useless, but also because under these circumstances, you would still be in your sins. Our culture is filled with new spiritualities and new religions. And the most important question to ask of any religion is this. How will this teaching deal with my sins? Now, I've asked this question a few times when I've watched Oprah Winfrey. Sometimes I like watching her and sometimes not so much. But I ask the question, especially if she has a new spiritual teacher who's telling us how life should be lived. 
some new guru, some new insights, what kind of meditation we should practice, and what it will do for us. And I keep asking the question, what will this teaching do about my sense? And the usual answer seems to be that sin is not an issue. It's not even a consideration. And if sin is not an issue, then this new teaching, you know, is diametrically opposed to the Bible and to Christianity. Because in the Bible, the central issue that you need to deal with before you can find a relationship with God is sin. This is important because all of you Christians are worried about your sins. It's why you've come to Jesus Christ. For you, sin is an issue. But if Christ has not been risen, you're still in your sins. You have staked your eternal destiny on a man who, it turns out, died 2,000 years ago and can do no more for you than Julius Caesar, Alexander the Great. Your problem is even worse because by your professional faith in Jesus, you have actually added to your sins. If Christ has not risen, people like you have been praying to Almighty God in the name of a man who died 2,000 years ago. That's blasphemy. You have put a man in the place of God, and frankly, it would be better if you lived an entirely secular life under these circumstances. Let's look at a third response to our question, why is the resurrection of Jesus Christ so important? And it is this. If Christ has not risen from the dead, you would be holding on to false hope. If Christ has not risen, Christians are the most miserable people in the world because they are holding on to false hope. Look at verse 18. It says this, If Christ has not risen, then those also who have fallen asleep in Christ are lost. Now many of you have stood at the grave of a loved one and those who are Christians have drawn comfort from the conviction that this person they love is now in the presence of Jesus Christ. But if Paul is brutally honest here, he is saying that if Christ has not risen, it's a false hope. For even if Christ wasn't raised, there's no hope whatsoever that anyone else is going to make it into everlasting life. If Christ is not risen, they're simply lost, and you folks are living in denial. Some people even think false hope is better than no hope. The truth is, false hope is the saddest thing in the world. There's a young missionary several years ago who married a Rwandan pastor, a Tutsi, and they had established their home in that country. And she had gone on a short trip to Kenya on her own when the awful Rwandan tragedy occurred some years ago. Most of you know the story of what happened. Hutu militia moved in from the north, butchering people wherever they went. The militia came into the area of their home and anarchy reigned. It was impossible for this lady to return to her home because of what had transpired. The borders were closed and the situation was chaotic. Now eventually she came back to England and waited for the news. The church surrounded her with love and with prayer, and days turned to weeks, and she heard nothing. She told others many times she had an absolute conviction that her husband was alive. There was only a slim chance of that being a reality. Her pastor tried some words to her to at least open the door to the possibility that her husband might already be with the Lord. But she couldn't bear these words, and I don't blame her. To her, they sounded like the pastor lacked faith. It was months before she heard the news. But then there was a firm report. Someone had seen him taken and shot. And the news to her was absolutely devastating. The pain of the loss was bad enough, but the false hope made it even worse. That's a point that C.S. Lewis makes in his book, 
of grief observed. Every person who has been beside the bedside of a loved one and who has seen them rally only to see them decline knows what I'm talking about. Don't ever say hope is a good thing, even if it's not real. The Apostle Paul is saying that if Christ has not been written, you are the most miserable people in the world because you've staked your whole life on a hope that will eventually prove false. There cannot be anything worse to live a life like that. Finally, if Christ has not risen, you're wasting your life because he says in verse 19, if only for this life we have hope in Christ, we are to be pitied more than all men. We're throwing our lives away for something meaningless. Paul must have written these words with passion. He had paid a high price for following Christ. Five occasions he was flogged with 39 lashes. On three occasions he was beaten with rods. On one occasion he was stoned. Three times he was shipwrecked. He had been in and out of prison and lived in constant danger. That was his life. Why? This man was a brilliant academic. He could have had a comfortable life as a lecturer in a rabbinic school with a good salary and respect to the Jewish community. Why did he endure this incredible suffering? One reason for the sake of Christ. Paul says, if Christ is not risen, I have endured all this for the sake of a dead man and a lost cause. That simply isn't worth it. The Christian life is so hard that if Christ had not risen, it's not worth it. The Christians in Corinth had not been persecuted, but the Apostle Paul includes them when he says this, if only for this life we have hope in Christ, we are to be pitied more than all men. They may not have been persecuted, as most of us have not been persecuted physically, but all of them made costly commitments to Jesus Christ. If there is no resurrection, then the cost of your commitment to Jesus is merely a register of your mistaken choices. If Christ is not risen, you have fought battles with sin. You have struggled and you need never have bothered with all that. You have prayed and it's been like sending letters that never arrived. If Christ has not risen, you've given money you could have saved and enjoyed. If Christ has not risen, you've spent hours in service for a cause that amounts to nothing. And when people say they think the Christian life would be a good thing even if there had been no resurrection, I wonder if they've ever actually taken up the cross of Christ. That's part of being a Christian. They have never actually launched out into anything that is costly for Jesus Christ and said, if anyone would come after me, he must deny himself and take up his cross and follow me. Real Christians know that it costs to follow Christ. And if Christ hasn't risen, it's simply not worth it. How many times have you heard this phrase? I'm really glad your faith works for you. When a person says that, what they mean is that it doesn't matter whether Christianity is true or not. All that matters is that it's a positive experience for people like you. Now, Paul absolutely disagrees. If Christ has not risen, your faith is an emotional crutch. It is unhealthy and it's a miserable thing to build your whole life on something false. If Christ has not risen, that is what Christians have done. If Christianity were, is not true, it's not a positive personal experience. It's actually a dangerous delusion. If Christ has not risen, folks like you are the most miserable people in the world. Many would agree with that assessment, and that is why they have not come to Christ. They have not believed because they perceive that Christians are the most miserable people in the world. And if Christ had not been risen, that position would be justified. 
And that's why the Apostle Paul says in the Bible with great honesty that there's no special pleading. No, we must keep the church going at all costs. We must keep pastors and jobs. We must prop up Christianity in the West. But Christianity stands or falls on its claim that it is true. If it is not true, integrity demands that we shut down the whole operation, close the churches, close the care centers. If Christ is not risen, there's no validity to what we're doing. If Christ is not risen, I quit, and you should too. There are easier ways to live life. But Christ, indeed, has risen from the dead. Look at verse 20. The Apostle Paul, having painstakingly made his point clear that everything stands or falls on whether or not Christ was written, he declares this, but Christ has it been indeed been raised from the dead. He does not paint this second scenario as a possibility. He declares it as a fact. And I'm going to do the same thing this morning. In the Bible, God speaks to us. He confronts us with a message. And my task as a pastor is to say to all who hear the word of God to you is that Jesus Christ has risen and he has risen indeed. And if Christ is not raised, the whole Christianity thing falls apart. We would all be the most miserable people in the world for this is the declaration this morning. Christ has indeed been raised from the dead. Jesus, who claimed to be the Son of God, was crucified, dead, and buried. And on the third day, he rose. The tomb was empty. He was no longer there. He lives in the power of a new life. He is alive. So what does this declaration actually mean? It means your faith has substance. You're not believing in nothing. You placed your trust in one who lives. When you pray, he hears you. And when you worship, it brings joy to his heart. You have placed your trust in the living Lord Jesus Christ, and those who trust in him will never be put to shame. It means your sins are forgiven. And Jesus Christ not only died for our sins, but he raised again for our justification. And that means that God accepted his sacrifice. And what he did is big enough, great enough, and good enough to cover all sins, the sins of everyone who will confess and put their trust in Jesus Christ. It means you have a certain hope. It means that when you talk about heaven, you're talking about something that's going to happen in reality. For you are going to see Jesus. He's alive. It means costly discipleship is the greatest investment in your life. That's why Paul says in verse 58, let nothing move you. Always give yourself fully to the work of the Lord because you know that your labor in the Lord is not in vain. And when following Christ becomes costly for you, it's the greatest investment opportunity of your life because Christ is alive. Now, I have something to say to all of you who would identify with the position of not having yet come to clear commitment to Jesus, who are still tossing around questions in your mind, but standing for whatever reason at a distance from the risen Christ. Christ indeed has been raised from the dead. And this means that unbelief is the most futile thing in the world. If faith was just a mind game, taking a position of unbelief would be a reasonable thing to do. But if since Christ has been risen, unbelief becomes ridiculous. Unbelief in the face of the risen Christ is futile. The reluctance of people to believe in the risen Christ will not change the fact that the risen Christ is seated on the throne in heaven with all authority and calls men and women to obedience 
and faith under him. And all over the world, people are doing this in response to Jesus Christ, staying in a position of unbelief in the light of the resurrection of Christ. Another observation, our point to be made is that those who take a position of unbelief are going to have to face up to the fact that they're still in their sin. Christ is risen. That means you're going to have to stand one day in the presence of God. You're accountable to the Lord who made you, who is risen from the dead. Your guilt will not be washed away because you have stood at a distance from Jesus Christ. So why stand at a distance any longer? He's risen. Another thing is you are holding on to false hope. Those who have taken this position are cherishing the hope that there will be no consequences to their unbelief. If Christianity were just a mind game, you would be right. But Christ has risen. That means he's coming again, and one day we will stand before him accountable to our failure to believe our refusal to repent, and our willingness to offer our lives in service to the king. And perhaps the greatest tragedy that we need to face in light of the resurrection is that those who hold the position of unbelief are wasting their lives. The risen Christ comes to every person, offers you the greatest opportunity of your life. You can invest your life in eternity, in something that means something, but this passive reluctance to make a commitment to Christ, the years are passing you by, and your life is wasting away. You're missing the greatest purpose, and by your continuing to ponder over questions and saying, no one really knows the answer to these things, you are refusing to believe. And by refusing to believe, you are missing the greatest purpose opportunity of your life those who stand at a distance from the risen christ are the most miserable people in the world you need to make the move you need on this easter sunday morning to believe in the lord jesus christ you need to come to christ and if you do your faith will not be futile it will be the strongest thing in the world and as you do your sins will be forgiven you will have the hope of the eternity of everlasting life you will see jesus and you will be with him forever. And as you believe, you will begin to grasp the greatest opportunity of your life, the opportunity that that God in Christ offers you today. Christ has indeed risen from the dead.